This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your teacher for this podcast. Welcome back from summer. Hope you had a wonderful summer. I'm recording this in the first week of September, and uh, my summer was insanely busy. (laughs) My wife and I wonder even where it went. We had this list of things we wanted to get done this summer, and we looked at our list yesterday, and nothing on it got done. (laughs) So um, we're looking to the fall, hoping to get some of that stuff done, get it off of our to-do list. And hopefully I'm back into a regular routine with this podcast. My goal is to get it out once a week. And uh, that's going to be a high priority for me going forward. We'll see how well I do with that. Today we're looking at Genesis 3, 17-19. And I want to ask you, did God curse Adam after he ate from the tree of knowledge good and evil? Lots of people think so, but I don't. Remember, I- I- I'm convinced that based on what we see in Jesus and so many other places in Scripture as well, promises and truths of Scripture, God does not curse humans. God does not punish humans. Uh, of course, in Genesis 3.17, God does pronounce a curse. So uh, we'll look at what that is in today's episode, and our study will also lead us into some fun speculation. At least it's fun for me. <laughs> Hope you don't think I'm some sort of crazy wacko lunatic after you hear what I have to say. Again, it's just speculation, though. And hey, I've been telling you for a while that I'm almost ready to announce this huge new project for my blog, something I've been working on for quite a while, maybe a year, about a year or so. And I think that I'm about one week away from finally being able to announce it. Uh, In fact, I sent out a preliminary email yesterday. So if you subscribe, if you get my emails, then uh, make sure you go check your emails from yesterday read it, and there was a little action step invited for you to take in there. Just a little button for you to click to respond and uh, let me know you want to know more. So uh, if you don't get my emails, it's not too late, no worries. Uh, You can still sign up. (laughs) Uh, Just go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. You can always sign up to get my emails. And of course, if this is, you're listening to this, like, super far in the future, late, later in 2016 or even into 2017. Look, you can always sign up at that point. Whatever I've got going will have been launched. And uh, simply by going to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe, doing that process will allow you, future person, <laughs> to also get these emails and find out what this project was and get in on it as well. So anyway, I'm really excited to share with you what I've got uh, with this project, but I'm also really excited to share with you our study for today. So let's get with it. So Genesis 3, 17 through 19 reveals the consequences upon the man for eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is episode 48. In episode 45, we looked at what God said to the serpent. This is the consequence upon the serpent. And uh, that was in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And then we spent two episodes, episodes 46 and 47, looking at the one verse of Genesis 3, 16 to talk about the consequences upon the woman. 
And so now we turn to the consequences of what God says to Adam. And there's a couple of things to note here. There's really, it, it, looking at the verses will only be about half of today's episode. And then we're going to conclude today's episode, episode with a little bit of speculation. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of fun. And uh, so if you, if you think that what I share sounds a little bit like science fiction or some sort of magical fantasy novel or something, look, go ahead and reject what I say. In fact, you can always reject what I say with these podcasts. I, I'm sharing with you the, the results, the fruit of my study and research, and I hope that you do some due diligence and do some study and research on your own. If you come to different conclusions, fine. Uh, that's the beauty of following Jesus the way we do. Uh, anyway, what I'm going to share with you today uh, is, is speculation, but if you consider what I'm saying, I, I think that you might just get a glimpse of what and how Jesus did during his life, and, are you ready for this, what life might be a little bit like for us in the future state, when we spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth. So, that's sort of where we're going today. We're going to look at the text first and then spend some time on my idle speculations. <laughs> All right, Genesis 3.17 then. God turns from speaking to the woman and says to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. All right, and that, that's, that's verse 17. Obviously, I'm breaking the sentence in half. But uh, first, I want you to note that God is not slamming Adam for listening to his wife. Uh, he says, you know, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. And, and most of us men know that only a dumb man does not listen to his wife. Uh, most men have a, or most women have sort of this sixth sense regarding decisions that should be made, nature, nature of current events, type of, you know, character that people have, that sort of a thing. And uh, at least I found that true with my wife. I found that my wife on these things, the sixth sense, when she sort of feels it about a person or an event or a place or activity, I find that she is right way more often than she is wrong. And I've learned that I ignore her opinion and input on these at my own peril. And uh, this even comes true with theology. Uh, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, my wife has what I think is uh, sort of, I, I call it an intuitive theology I'll read and study some topic for hours and hours and read all the books and the commentaries and theology books and study the Greek and the Hebrew and all this. And I'll come to all my end of my study and come to my conclusions, you know, some topic or question. I'll come to her with my deep theological insight. And uh, usually Wendy will say one of two things about this. She'll either say, duh, I've always known that. You know, she'll be much nicer about it. Um... But, uh, you know, and that's because she she knows the heart of God. She has intuitive theology. I need to study and learn it. She just knows it in her heart because she knows the heart of God. She's very, women are very relational that way. It's a good thing. That's the first thing she might say. It's like, yeah, of course, I've known that. The second thing she might say is, yeah, I'm not so sure you're right about that. Again, you know, she says it differently than that. And usually I get a little ruffled because, you know, I'm the scholar and I've studied the original languages and, you know, I've read the books and, and uh, carefully thought through the text. But again, give me some time. I go back, I reconsider it, and I usually come back around and realize she was right after all. I think many of us men have probably found the same thing to be true with your wives. 
and so we we must not. The point is, we must not take God's words to Adam here as some sort of prescription to not listen to our wives. Some men have done that throughout time. You know, God scolds Adam, at least that's the way we read it, you know, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. And so when it comes to theological issues or maybe even life decisions or something like that, some men feel that they have permission from God here to basically ignore their wives, not get the input of their wives. And and that is not what God is saying here. That is not what we men should be doing here. What God is doing here is softly scolding Adam for not doing a better job in telling Eve what God had actually said. Remember, we've talked about this in previous episodes. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But in previous episodes, we saw that God told Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was supposed to pass this information, this instruction on to Eve. But it appears that Adam failed in this and did a poor job of it. And so when Eve comes to Adam and says, hey, try this fruit, that was Adam's responsibility to step in and say, uh, no, wait a minute, I sort of forgot to told you, or I didn't tell you very well before, we're not supposed to eat that. But he, he failed in that. And so all of the failure in Genesis 3 really is on the shoulders of Adam, not on Eve at all. That's what we've seen in various ways, various times, various verses in previous episodes. But what Adam ended up doing was uh, what Eve said to him instead of what God had said to him. And what Eve said to Adam was Adam's fault anyway, because Adam failed to properly pass on God's instruction to Eve. So, so that's, what, that's what God's initials word, initial words to Adam mean here. God basically says, you should have listened to me and followed what I said, but you didn't. You failed to properly pass on my instructions to your wife, And then when she passed your incorrect instructions back to you, you did what she said. And in so doing, failed to do, to follow, to obey what I said. So that's how to understand verse 17. Uh, Adam listened to Eve instead of to God. But even Eve's misinformation wasn't Eve's fault, but Adam's. Either way, Adam should have remembered what God said. You shall not eat of it, as we see there at the end of the verse and he should have refrained from eating the tree. Now, we could speculate on what would have happened if Eve had eaten from the tree, but Adam had not. My personal speculation is that nothing much would have changed. But um, you know, we will never know. 100% pure speculation. <laughs> I don't know what your opinion is on that. Anyway, the result of Adam's decision to eat from the tree is found in the last part of verse 17 and then on through 19. And this is where we get into the curse. Uh, It's introduced there halfway through verse 17. And then the following verses, there are three aspects of this curse that are unfolded or that are explained. And I want to say right from the start, as I indicated in the introduction, that just as with Eve, God does not curse Adam. God does not curse human beings here or anywhere else in Scripture for that matter. Look at what verse 17 says. It says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. So again, uh, what God is saying is that there will be consequences to Adam because of his decision to eat from the tree. This is exactly what we saw with Eve. Because of Eve's decision, all right, and what happened, 
There will be consequences to her. And also, it's interesting, remember, the consequences on Eve are in parallel to the responsibility that God gave Eve, specifically okay, to rule and reign along with her husband and to be fruitful and multiply and have children on the earth. And those are the two consequences that are now broken, destroyed, marred a little bit for Eve. And that's exactly what happens in here in verse 17 through 19 as well for Adam. Adam, as we remember back from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God gave him the responsibility to work the ground, to till the ground, for uh, the earth itself to be fruitful, to multiply, um, to, to tend the garden, right? And so God now says, to turns to Adam, and because that was Adam's responsibility, now Adam's responsibility, there's going to be consequences, negative consequences for it. And uh, this, this responsibility does not go away, it just becomes vastly more difficult. So, uh, these three consequences then, first one is found right there at the end of verse 17, that uh, Adam's work will become more difficult. God says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So, work for Adam in the garden was initially supposed to be enjoyable, pleasurable, fulfilling. God says, now it's going to become toilsome. Now, again, I want to point out to you that the word for toilsome here, or toil, uh, all the, in toil, you shall eat of it. This is the exact same word that was used in Genesis 3.16 to describe the pain that women experience in bringing forth children. We looked at that two episodes ago. The word is itzavonik, and it, it does not refer to the pain of childbirth uh, specifically, but to rather to sort of the trouble, the, the toil, the hardship that is involved in conception and during the nine months of pregnancy uh, and, and that entire process. Again, if you, if you miss those episodes, go back and listen to it. This, Genesis 3.16 isn't referring to the pain of childbirth, and one of the reasons we know that is because the exact same word for pain there is used here for the pain that men will experience in working the soil. And I don't think any of us men want to believe, nor do any women want to say, rightfully so, that the man out there working in, in, in the fields is experiencing the same pain that a woman experiences in childbirth. Therefore, different type of pain, uh, frustration, hardship must be in view. And we talked about that. God is basically saying to women and to men, look, you're supposed to bring forth children together. You're supposed to work the ground both tasks were intended to be supremely enjoyable and pleasurable in their own way. But now, because of the rivalry that is between you and other factors, frustration is going to enter into this, both spheres. Bringing forth children and bringing forth plants and, and, and food from the ground will now become burdensome, toilsome. Uh, wearying, tiresome. Sometimes we'll think it's just not even worth the effort. All right, so so that's the first, the last part of verse 17, that uh, this first consequence upon Adam's work. All right, and verses 18 and 19 amplify a little bit on the idea that work will now become toilsome. They also introduce some new ideas on why and how this work becomes toilsome. And so the second consequence is that there will be weeds. Uh, God says that work will become burdensome 
in 18 because of weeds. Now, he calls them thorns and thistles. Uh, He says, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So, uh, while a man obviously doesn't want thorns and thistles, we want to get fruit and grain from the fields. Instead, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. So, God, again, is just talking about the frustration of work, that, that, that things are not functioning exactly as they should that the ease and joy and simplicity of tilling the land, tending the field, is now lost. That the land uh, would, would now more easily bring forth thorns and thistles and weeds than it does fruit and grain. If you've ever planted a garden or tended a field or even had a flower garden or something, you know how true this is. It's a struggle to grow the plants we want, whereas the plants we don't want seem to have no struggle to grow no matter what we do. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this. You know, if, if the plants you want to grow, they don't have the right soil and the right amount of sun, you know, but not too much, the right amount of water, but again, not too much, you know, you need fertilizer and all this stuff, then they're going to wither up and not grow, they'll be sickly, they'll die. But it sometimes seems that no matter what we do, the weeds and the thorns and the thistles and the briars, they grow no matter what. You can put the weed killer on them and it seems to not even phase them. <laughs> it doesn't rain, the weeds don't care, they grow. The sun is scorching hot, the weeds don't care, they still seem to grow. <laughs> um, it can get flooded with rain, the weeds seem to flourish even more. It's just strange. I live in Oregon. Things grow very, very well in Oregon here. Um, but in the summer, during the summer months, late June through July, August, and September, we don't really get much rain. So most plants, even most lawns around here, just wither up and die. Everything becomes brown. Um, but uh, the weeds, oh no, they just continue to grow regardless. Imagine this is why we say, you know, things grow like weeds. <laughs> it means that no matter what, regardless of conditions, the weeds will grow fast and strong. And so that's sort of what God is talking about, verse 18. The plants we want to grow for food will now be more difficult to grow because the thorns and thistles will be growing more quickly. And so that's the second consequence. The third consequence is in there in verse 19, and it is death. God says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So God tells Adam that one consequence he will face in this life is that it will come to an end. He was taken from the dust, and he will return to the dust. Now, uh, I know that at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that God does not curse humans. And while it is true that the curse mentioned in verse 17 is only on the ground and not about Adam, Many people look at this part of it right here, the death. You're going to die, Adam, and and say, well, this is the curse. It may not be specifically called a curse, but, uh, you know, God told Adam he's going to die. And and we all think that death is a curse. And so, therefore, when God says, Adam, you're going to die, well, God's cursing Adam with death. But here's the thing. Try to wrap your mind around this. Just if you disagree, think about it for a little bit. Death is actually not a curse. Given what's happened, given our circumstances and situation now in life, because of what has come upon us, death is actually a blessing. In light of the frustration and toil that life has become, death is a deliverance. It's a rescue. Death is a good thing. 
Because in light of the pain and sorrow and frustration that has now come upon earth, the earth, death is a doorway to freedom and deliverance from all of that frustration and into a new life which is free from all the toil and frustration. So, so death is the end of this life, but it's also the end of the frustrations, headaches, and hassles of this life. And so death then becomes an entryway or beginning to living life in eternity the way it was actually meant to be lived. And I want to invite you, challenge you, to start thinking about death that way. Don't read verse 19 as a curse from God. God cursed humanity with death. Instead, read it as a blessing. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that. We will talk about it more when we look at verses 22 through 24, either next episode or the one after that. So uh, let's just leave it alone for now. Death is not a curse, but is actually a blessing. And uh, that brings us to the end of verses 17 to 19. Now, I want to just spend a few minutes here closing out this episode with a bit of speculation. And let me explain to you briefly where the speculation comes from. In, in, in verses 17 through 19 that we just looked at, we read that work is now going to become more difficult and weeds more plentiful and all of this, okay? And since we know, based on what we see in Jesus, that God does not send pain upon people, or at least punishment, since God does not punish or curse, as I was reading and studying this, I asked myself, well, okay, so how would it have been originally in the Garden of Eden if Adam and Eve had not eaten from the tree? I mean, he still had to tend the garden, didn't he? So what does this mean about the thorns and the thistles? Were they not in existence prior to this? You know, had weeds not been created? Does God just at this point now create weeds? I really don't think so. The way I look at weeds, I just think they're plants that are out of place. They must have their role and function and purpose, you know. A lot of weeds, actually, are just flowers and plants that we just simply don't want in our garden. They're fine elsewhere. We just don't want them here. So, So what would have happened? How would it have worked originally? You know, what would have looked like for Adam and Eve to work the garden? How would his work have been easier, more pleasurable, more enjoyable? Genesis 2.15, God tells Adam that he needs to tend to the garden. I mean, doesn't this imply some sort of pruning, cleaning, tilling, planting, watering, so forth? So how exactly did this work become more difficult? And as I was thinking about this, uh, I, I thought about how it might be for us when we have our perfect bodies in the new heaven and new earth. By the way, do you know we're not going to spend eternity in heaven? <laughs> No, heaven is not our eternal home. Uh, We're actually going to spend eternity on earth. This earth, in fact. uh, A place very much like this earth. It will be way better, but it will be very much like this earth. This earth was made for us, and eternity will be spent on a place very much like this. We're going to have jobs. There will be be work. We're not going to sit around playing harps on clouds. (laughs) Thank goodness. It sounds incredibly boring to me uh, for eternity. I might be able to do it for about 10 seconds. Uh, but no, we'll be doing things, going places, meeting people. We'll have uh, important, meaningful, fulfilling jobs that you will love to go to every day. Okay? If you hate your job now, don't worry. It's not going to be that way in eternity. The thing you were made to do, that's what you will do, and that's what you will love to do. Anyway, I began to wonder about this. How, how will it be like in eternity? How, how can we work the ground on this earth without frustration and toil? 
And as I began to think about that, I began to realize that Jesus probably reveals some of this to us. Remember, Jesus is not only God incarnate, that is God in the flesh, revealing God to us, but Jesus also reveals humanity to us. Jesus is not just the perfect representation of God, he is also the perfect representation of what humans are. And as I thought about this, I watched him and how he lived his life. He never seemed in a hurry. He never worried. He never seemed to struggle with, with things of life. You know, when he, when he needed something done, done fast, uh, such as, you know, uh, uh, calm a storm so that a ship could cross the, the, the sea or the lake, uh, when he needed to feed the masses because they'd all forgotten to bring their lunch, uh, you know, he was able to manipulate the clouds, calm the storms and the wind. Um, he was able to tell schools of fish where to swim. He was able to multiply the fish and loaves to feed the masses, the crowds. And when I begin to think about that, I, I, I remembered what Jesus said in John 14, 12, where his disciples are marveling at what he's done. He says, don't marvel at this. <laughs> you will do greater things than these. So anyway, sort of this line, this rabbit trail of thought led me down the rabbit trail, the rabbit hole of speculation, I guess. And I I wondered about how Adam worked with the garden without it being toilsome. And I wondered what life will be like in eternity. And I, I wondered about the glimpses we get from Jesus about what humans are apparently capable of, or at least were intended to be capable of, or at least will be capable of. And I, I began to dream and speculate and imagine. And here is where you are completely free to disagree with me. I'm speculating now. I'm throwing it out there for your fun entertainment, and enjoyment. Take it or leave it if you want. I sort of think that what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree is that somehow or another they became disconnected with the way God originally wanted his creation to interact. I think somehow something became broken, especially, I mean, we all know, for example, our ability to communicate with God was damaged. We saw that already. We're seeing already in Genesis 3, and we'll see a lot more going forward, and we know it from just our own personal experience, our community, our, our, I'm sorry, our ability to communicate with other humans also is supremely broken. I believe we're able, we're, we're intended to understand each other a whole lot better than we actually do. So here's the, the speculation. I began to wonder if maybe, somehow, our ability to communicate with the animals, and maybe even with plants, and maybe even with weather patterns, also was broken. Maybe we were supposed to be able to communicate with animals, and and who knows, maybe even plants and weather patterns a little bit also, and somehow able to use them, work with them, uh, work to to do the work that we were supposed to do. I know it sounds a little bit like science fiction maybe, but you look at Jesus and how he seemed to be able to tell the wind and waves what to do, to instruct animals, you know, the fish, where to swim. Even in one case, tell a plant what to do. And I wonder if somehow we were created to communicate with the animals better than we can today. You know, to, to, to aid them and to have them aid us in our work. I, I, you know, it's, you might be thinking like these Disney movies where these Disney princesses sing. And, you know, the birds and squirrels and the skunks and owls, they come flying and they help make dresses and things. I don't know if it would have, I, I doubt it would have looked like that. But, uh, you know, Elijah in, in the Bible, he's out starving in the wilderness and ravens bring him food to eat. 
Um, I, I look, I, I look at how we look, use horses and oxen and elephants even in some parts of the world to do our work. And I wonder if we were supposed to, if, if that entire process was supposed to be easier. That rather than training animals, maybe we would have been able to communicate with them and say, look, I need this tree moved over there. Uh, horses, I know you love to eat grass. I got this long grass over there. And sheep, you know, over there. Uh, go go eat that grass down to about an inch and a half, two inches wide. You know, today we use lawnmowers. Maybe we wouldn't need lawnmowers because we could get the sheep and the cows and the horses to, to help us out with that. And we have chickens here in Oregon. We have five chickens. And uh, I watch these chickens out there. It's a source of endless frustration for my wife. She's got this great, beautiful flower garden back there in our backyard. Well, guess what? Chickens also love to eat flowers. So they're out there scratching away and eating her flowers and her bulbs and her ferns and stuff. <laughs> and But they do a great job eating the weeds as well. By the way, they also do a great job eating bugs. We have a relatively bug-free backyard. Uh, very natural and organic because of the chickens. They eat them. We don't need pesticides to get rid of them. Anyway, I've often thought it'd be nice to, to sit down these five chickens for a little chat and say, look, uh, I know you love eating bugs. Have at them. Eat as many as you want. I know you love eating plants. But look, these ones over here are the ones, Wendy plants. We want to keep these, these beautiful flowers. But these other ones, these we, we don't want these ones. You can eat as many of those as you want. Wouldn't it be nice to sit down with our five chickens and have that chat with them? And they could they could get rid of their bugs and, and do all of our weeding for us. <laughs> um. I read an article a while back about uh, kudzu. If you live somewhere in the south of the United States, you know how kudzu, this, this, this vine plant, is just destroying, overtaking so much of our vegetation down there, the forest. And I read an article about how goats love to eat kudzu. And I thought, why can't we set free just a herd of goats out in the kudzu forest and they can eat all this kudzu? Of course, the problem is they roam around and they get caught in traffic in people's yards and, and it's just it's hard to control them. It would be nice to sit down a bunch of goats and say, hey guys, I know you love kudzu. It's your favorite thing to eat. Look at all this kudzu. Acres and acres, square miles, hundreds of square miles of kudzu. Eat it all, have at it. Now stay out of the roads over there. Stay out of Mr. Smith's backyard over there. He's not going to like that. But the kudzu, you can have all the... You see what I'm getting at here? Yes, it's all speculation. Okay, It's fun to think about. But I sometimes wonder if the tools and machinery and things that we invent and create are because... Yes, we're creative, okay? But I wonder if sometimes the animals that God gave to us, that we were supposed to partner with them to do these things. And because we can't, because we can't communicate with them like we're supposed to, well, then we resort to second best, which is creating machines to do, to aid us in these jobs as well. Okay, it's all about communication. But, you know, I just read, everything sort of comes together. I read, I read, I'm almost out of time. let me just, one, one last thing. I read a study this last week, just this last week. I don't remember where it was, where I read this, some science journal or something, psychology or something, I don't know, where they did a study on the human brain where it's, the, the study was, it says that we subconsciously understand the chirping of birds. We can pick up on what they're thinking and feeling, how they chirp, and our mood can be affected by the mood of the birds. I don't know if you've ever sat under a tree and just listened to the birds and just sort of felt right past your level of consciousness that you sort of just felt that you should be able to understand the birds. You just felt maybe in your heart that they were angry or they were excited or maybe they were just playful or maybe they were just 
happy for the rain or happy for the sun or happy for the seed or whatever it was. And you began to feel yourself feeling the same way you felt you in your heart that the way the birds felt. I don't know. I felt that from time to time. Maybe you have too. Apparently to the study, it's a common human experience. So if you felt that, guess what? Lots of people feel that. Maybe it's not birds though. Maybe for you it's a dog or a cat. You know, you probably felt something similar. When you're feeling a certain way, your dog or your cat comes to help you. Or they're feeling a certain way and your mood sort of matches theirs. I believe that in some way or another, it's speculation, yes, but I sort of think that scripture and science and psychology and the more we learn about human and brain interactions, all this stuff, God created humans and animals to communicate in a much larger degree than we do now. In fact, this might explain why Adam and Eve were not a, not surprised at all when the serpent communicated with them in Genesis 3. And I think that maybe this communication was for the purpose, partly, not just for partnership and friendship with the animals, but also to help us do our work, to help us tend the garden, get rid of the weeds and thorns and thistles, bring water, move trees, that sort of a thing, uh, so that we could join with them in doing our work upon the earth. And for all I know, maybe we could have communicated to the plants as well. In fact, I read a, again, I read a book a while back about these uh, three nuns in Scotland, I think it was, who planted this most beautiful garden with these plants that should not have been able to grow out there uh, in just this barren landscape, horrible conditions. And when people came by and said, how did you do that? These plants should not be able to grow here. These plants should not be able to survive here. How are you doing this? Um, they, their answer was that, they just invited the plants to grow. They sang to them and invited them to grow and to be fruitful. They loved the plants and tended the plants, and the plants grew. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe you've got a green thumb and you've seen some of this yourself. <laughs> anyway, look, it's all speculation. I'm out of time. Um, but uh, if, if any of this speculation is true, and if this ability to communicate with the animals, with you and I, with each other, maybe even with plants, who knows, maybe even with the wind and the waves, weather patterns, the rain and the clouds, maybe somehow all of that was broken when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, then maybe, it's a guess, maybe this helps explain why Adam's work in tilling and planting the ground became much more difficult as Genesis 3, 17 through 19 reveals. Look, uh, it's speculation. It's all guesswork, imagination. <laughs> but look, I-, I want your feedback on it. Let me know what you think. Right? Wrong? You think I'm out to lunch? That's fine. Leave a comment or question. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And uh, leave a comment or question there. And, and, and uh, tell me I'm crazy or something. That'd be fine. Whatever. Uh, take it or leave it. Fine. Uh, And also, hey, if you're on the mailing list, remember, check your email from yesterday about this exciting new adventure that we're headed off on. Uh, If you like this podcast, you will love what I'm doing there on the blog very soon. And I hope to officially announce it next week, maybe even on next week's podcast episode. We'll see. Uh, If you don't get my emails, that's okay. It's easily fixed. Go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe to get started. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to seeing you next week when we look at Genesis 2, 20 and 21.